Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this February 2016 episode is all about surnames and genealogy. And we're going to start the discussion off with Diane Haddad, editor of Family Tree Magazine, who recently blogged on the Genealogy Insider blog about some of her most challenging surnames to research. I think you will identify with some of those. And then in our top tips segment, author David Frixell is back to explain how an unusual surname can actually be an asset when researching your family history. And he's got six strategies for using those oddball names to your advantage. In our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to visit the Roots Web surname list, the perfect place to go in an episode devoted to surnames. And we'll do that with Anna Fector of Ancestry.com. Family Tree University instructor Nancy Hendrickson is back, and she's going to give us her take on surname research strategies. And then we will wrap things up at the publisher's desk, where Allison Dolan will share some of her favorite resources for working with surnames. And I picked up a couple of new ones there. And we will wrap up things at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan, who's going to share some of her favorite resources for working with surnames. There's a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Genealogy Insider blog with Diane Haddad. Family Tree Magazine editor Diane Haddad recently shared some of her most challenging surnames to research in her Genealogy Insider blog post. It was called Surname Genealogy Strategies, My Favorite and Least Favorite Last Names to Research. I'm guessing that you will definitely relate to her challenges. And here she is to tell us all about them. Hi, Diane. Hello. All right, Diane, let's just cut to the chase. What's the most annoying last name to research in your family tree? Now, we're talking not the ancestor or the relative. There are some annoying ones of those, but the name itself. Right. And no offense to my Frost ancestors, but that one has got to be my hardest surname. Um, Just imagine all the weather reports you get. Um, In addition to that, it's also a very common name. So, you know, there are multiple Thomas Frosts, for example, and I've, you know, gotten all excited because I found some record, oh, he served in the Civil War, but um, I did a little research into that person and it was not him. So that's probably my my most challenging surname. Frost, yeah, being a, such a common word in the English language, mm-hmm. let alone having all these duplicate people. And, and you also mentioned in this post that there are, are some yeah. words that even though they may not be a common surname, they get a little mixed up when it comes to that OCR, the optical character recognition, where you're doing a search and it's trying to interpret what you're asking for and you end up getting a very common word. Tell us about that. Right. I have a surname, Thos. Um, It's a German name and it's spelled in, the American spelling is T-H-O-S-S. In German, it would have the S-S would be the S-set character. But Mm -hmm. because it's Thos, whenever I search newspapers, which is one of my favorite resources, I always get results for the word those, which of course is in every single article. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it helps when I add a first name to the search. But again, you know, that's just something that I have to work through. And then also Google wants to always make it Thomas. So I have to use quotes whenever I search Google. And then you mentioned the name Coop, mm-hmm. K-O-O-P. 
And it turns out that's a pretty common name. Now, I wouldn't have thought about that. I thought only there was a uh, attorney, what, Surgeon General, yeah. who was last name? Uh-huh. That's the only time I've ever heard that name. <laughs> I know, yeah. because he often pops up in my searches. And I oh, okay. have no idea if I'm related to him. Um, so Coop, and then you'll also get responses for what I think is COP, K-O-P-P. And then there's also Coop Man um, and other surnames that have the K-O-O-P inside them. So that's um, so all those things come back when I search for this name. Yeah, all of you listening, I assume that you by now are shaking your head. Oh, yeah, yeah, been there, dealt with that. It's, it's kind of uh, challenging. But on the other hand, you have um, surnames like we all do in your genealogy research that make things a little bit easier. Give us some examples of that. Oh, one, the Leyden Cotters. Um, that's a really unusual name. And I'm pretty sure that I'm related to just about everyone that I come across. <laughs> and it just so happens that Family Search has indexed the, um, the German church records for the area where these people came from. So I was actually able to go in, um, just search for the last name and then come up with all these baptismal and marriage records that I used to construct um, an estimated family tree. Um, So then I could go in and I started to look through the actual records to try to verify some of that. And it's interesting, you know, when I saw you mentioned Leighton Cotter in your blog post, I was thinking, yeah, I've never seen that name before, but it can happen that it turns out it's not in this case, but a name could be hugely common Mm -hmm. in another language. Right, right. Right. So that happens too. All of a sudden you get this onslaught of um, results when you're looking at a name you've never seen before. Well, I often, my own last name, Haddad, that comes from my dad's family. I'll have people email us at the magazine and say, oh, I knew a Haddad, you know, in such and such a place. And it's not a super common American name, but any kind of... um, Middle Eastern ancestry, it's a very common name. It's actually the Smith equivalent. Oh, wow. (laughs) So there are actually a lot of us. Exactly. Well, perfect. Well, this is the perfect setup for our Family Tree University Crash Course segment coming a little bit later in the show, where we're going to talk to Nancy Hendrickson. And she did a webinar on surname genealogy research strategies. And that's available as an on-demand video so that you can kind of work through all these issues. And she's going to be here to share all kinds of tips on how to work around some of these challenges that Diane has just been talking about. Great article. We love the Genealogy Insider blog. It's at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. Thanks, Diane. You're welcome. An unusual surname can be an asset when you're researching your family history. And David Frixell is here to share six strategies for using those oddball names to your advantage. These come from his article. It's called The Unusual Suspects, and it appears in the January-February 2016 issue of the magazine. Welcome back, David. Thank you for having me. I have to say this is, for obvious reasons, this is one of my favorite all-time articles I've done for Family Tree, because with a last name like Frixell, the idea of uh, unusual surnames is kind of near and dear to my heart. I was figuring this was right up your alley. <laughs> of course, no, I don't have a terribly unusual name with the E on the end, but it's amazing how much time you spend spelling your last name, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 
Well, I know you've got some pretty cool strategies um, in this article for kind of making the most of this. So I just thought we'd do a quick rundown. What's number one? Well, sure. Well, first of all, you know, I tried to look on the bright side of having an unusual last name. And for genealogists, it's that if you find somebody with that last name, it's likely that they're either, you know, you're, in my case, it's either my Frickcell family or there's one other Frickcell family. And that's pretty much it. Um, so if in that case, um, you can, if you have a, an unusual surname in your family, even if it's not your main surname, you know, if, if you have somebody who married in the family or, a, you know, one way or another, you've got an, an unusual surname, it's much easier to trace that surname. You know, we always talk about cluster genealogy. Um, mm-hmm. So that the idea that you, your family's moved in clusters, sometimes with their neighbors even. Um, well, if you've got an unusual name in that cluster, you can try and find them instead of the, you know, Smiths and Joneses. Exactly. If they're kind of teamed up with other families with really common names, it's the uncommon one, even if it's not your target person, right? Right. That's the one you target to try to find these groups of people. It, I, I love that. They may travel along or, you know, be in the, be live next door or marry into the family or something. So, you know, if you've, if you've got, uh, you know, a Frickcell in the, in the line, you know, look for the Frickcells instead of the Smiths. You're, you're exactly. a lot better off. Now, number two you have on here is go for the given names. Yeah. How do those help well, us out? Often, um, and I noticed this in, in my mother's family, um, those unusual surnames um, pop up as uh, given names. So, for example, I've got an uh, ancestor named Thomas Oglesby Rosser and another one named Oglesby Ashley Lowe. <laughs> So the, the, you know, little red flags go up and like, well, where's that Oglesby name? That's, right. It's not bizarre, but it's fairly unusual. And suddenly it shows up in the you know, first or middle names of a couple of ancestors. Well, in fact, there is an Oglesby family um, a couple generations back in the family tree. So the, you know, the trick is that that family, uh, you know, that unusual surname um, may pop up in later years elsewhere you know, in the name. I've got one uh, in the same family, actually. I've got a uh, Nisba Uptegrove Stowe. Nisba's a wonderful first name. Um, but Uptegrove there, turns out, her paternal grandmother was Amy Uptegrove. So if you've got an unusual uh, name anywhere in the, in the family tree, you know, take a look. It might be that missing maiden name, for example, that you just can't figure out. Um, it's worth checking out. Oh, yeah, perfect. Now, Number three, you're talking about uh, consider geography. So I'm uh, thinking we're we're looking at how these names connect with geographical location. Yeah, sometimes uh, you'll find that there are particular names that might stand out because they're unusual. In that, for example, there are um, a small group of German names who that pop up in Ireland of all places. There's a similar thing, uh, a migration of French Huguenots. So suddenly, if, you, if you're researching your Irish ancestors and you come across, you know, Deveril or Blanc as a last name, uh, that's unusual in a different way, that it's unusual for that area, and that can give you the clue to the fact that there, you may need to look beyond Ireland in that case um, to uh, try and figure out where they actually came from. Oh, good point. Because, you know, a lot of times uh, a, a surname that is uncommon here in the U.S. might be really common in Germany or somewhere else, and that could happen anywhere. Exactly. And there are even examples of 
uh, names which come from very small, you know, areas that, that in this particular part of, you know, Switzerland, um, there are a lot of people with this oddball last name, but almost nowhere else. Uh, right. So sometimes, even if you're not sure they're your relatives, you find these people with that oddball last name. Yeah, you know, it's worth that's it's a clue. That's a clue worth following up on. Now, strategy number four is cast a spell. Oh, you got a little magic for us? Well, I, the magic is is uh, that sometimes it can the downside of uh, unusual surnames is that they get misspelled so many different ways. I mean, we've even had Fritzell, we've had Freinell, Freitel, even Purcell. Um, so one way around that for a number of genealogy websites is to use wildcard characters. And you need to use them strategically um, so you don't get too many you know, choices. But uh, at Ancestry.com, for example, a question mark represents a single wildcard character, whereas an asterisk stands for any number of unknown letters or none. So if you just put it at the end of, a, of a, the first part of an unusual name, uh, you might get a, a whole bunch of you know, options. But sometimes that's the only way to find you're missing, uh, you know, terribly, awfully misspelled uh, surname uh, in these online databases to turn to those wildcard characters. Yeah, there and there's usually one or two letters in every name that tends to be the one that gets kind of messed up. And, and I love using that question mark, uh, as you said, uh, to run it through Ancestry and see what the variations are. Now, of course, there are variations in names, and names change. Number five is find the game changer. Yes. You know, I, I was researching my uh, uh, father's mother's family, who's uh, known as Lundine, and I was just running into just no end of – I just couldn't get anywhere. And then finally, I thought to ask my aunt, and uh, she said, you know, sort of blithely, like, oh, well, didn't you know they used to be all Ingelsons back in the old country? I'm like, well, shoot. You know, so once I knew that, that they had changed their name. <laughs> now, it's not true um, that, you know, you often hear the myth about names being changed at Ellis Island by some, you know, clerk or something like that. Right. And, and that's really mostly a myth. But it is true that people did tend to change their name. They were a lot more casual about their last names. Um, and, uh, and so your unusual last name um, may have changed. So, you know, if, if you had a, you know, Polish Zabatosny family, um, they might have just be Zep in the United States. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Barankowitzes might be just brown. So be prepared that you're, you may have an unusual surname in the family and not even know it. So it may have gotten very old to them as well, to having to continually spell it and deal with exactly. all the language yeah. barriers. Just, I mean, ugh. you know, some of those, these last names, particularly like from Eastern European countries, make Frixell look like a walk in the park. And right. so, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's B-A-R-A, you know, <laughs> C-W, you know, it's like, oh, no, no, let's put down Brown, you know. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. story with my family is, in fact, that um, one brother was Frixell, which was a Swedish army name that they assigned to help because their, their last names tend to be also similar. And then my great-grandfather was Magnuson, and that supposedly when they came to America, they were told it's, uh, it's funny to have two brothers with different last names, and for some reason they picked Frixell instead of the much easier to spell Magnuson. So. Mm. Oh, interesting. Well, and number six, research extinct surnames. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, MyHeritage.com actually has a uh, fun list of 
endangered last names with fewer than 20 uh, people on them. And uh, so, of course, if you have uh, this last name in your family, um, it, it may be that there are plenty of people with that last name in the past, but in present day, not so much. And some of them are kind of fun, like uh, the last name Miracle or um, Relish or Bird Whistle. You know, if you have a, if you have a, uh, you know, Joseph Bird Whistle in the family, you know, that <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely jump on that one. Um, and then there are other ones that have simply gone extinct, like um, Spinster and uh, By the Sea or uh, the alternative By the Seashore. Um, with cute names, but they just are not many people, um, you know, name that anymore. But obviously if you have those, uh, last names, uh, you know, and you can trace them back to before they became extinct, the odds that those people are indeed your family, um, go up a great deal. Exactly. Well, hey, there are six great strategies for really capitalizing on, uh, this very oddball, unique, difficult to spell surnames that we all have in our family tree. Uh, they're in there and they actually can help really differentiate um, families and locations and help us really zero in on the people that we're looking for. You can read all about it, get all the details and, and more suggested tools that David provides in the article. It's called The Unusual Suspects and it's in the January, February 2016 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Dave, always great talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Since this episode is devoted to surnames, it just kind of makes sense to feature the Roots Web surname list in our 101 Best Website segment. And here to tell us all about it is Anna Fector. She's from Ancestry.com. Hi, Anna. Hi, Lisa. Hey, it's great to have you here. Um, and I would love to have you start us off, just because we know that everybody is at different places, uh, and they may not all realize what the Roots Web surname list is. Can you give us kind of an overview and maybe even a little bit of the history of this project? So the Roots Web surname list, it's a registry of surnames. Um, there's over a million surnames that researchers can post. I like it to being at a conference where people are able to post the surnames and where they're researching, except for it's digital. So you're able to search that huge poster board full of names just through your computer. Yeah, that's pretty powerful. I mean, I didn't realize you were already up to like a million surnames. So um, when, when you're going to the website, and we'll have the link in the show notes to get you there. And you can also just Google it, Roots Web um, Surname List. When you go there, we see kind of a uh, some search boxes and things. This is our key to tapping into those million names? Correct. So you're, when you go to the Roots Web Surname List, the initial page you see is the search page. The Roots Web Surname List started many, many years ago with the idea that people could come to the list and find others who are researching the same surname during the same time frame in the same location. So it's like the big cork boards that you see at a conference where people are pegging notes up in hopes of meeting someone at the conference who's researching the similar thing, except for it's digital. It was created with that intent and is over a million names. We're almost at a million and a quarter names currently. 
So you can either just search it or you can go in and add your own information in hopes that someone also researching that same family line will be able to make contact with you. So before we kind of dig into the website, I'm, I'm curious, is this different than the surname message board, message forums? We know that RootsWeb had a couple different things like that over the years. Where does this fit in? So it is different. So the message boards are where people can interact, and that's all online. The message lists, or the mailing lists, rather, are um, where people are contacting through your email. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not specific to location and time frame, generally. So if you had, for example, the Fector surname list, you would be dealing with people searching likely in the U.S., in Germany, possibly in the U.K., and you don't narrow down that specific. The surname list is meant to be very specific to where you're researching. I would say I'm researching the Fector surname in Tacoma County, Washington, during the 1900s. Okay. So if I type in Fector, then I can see that there's from this state to that date, and, and a submitter. Awesome. Okay, well, let's go back. We head to the webpage. It's rsl.rizweb.ancestry.com. Sounds like a long one, but we'll have it in the show notes for all of you listening. And when we get there, Anna, I see at the top, there is a little collection of links, kind of next to what looks like a little cross-stitch image. Tell us what we're looking at here. So what you'll see is um, the link to search, which we're on that page currently is the search page. It opens up there. But then Uh right beneath that is how you can add or edit your surnames. It's totally free. It's a little bit involved of a process. It's a two or three step process to get your name um, up. And it does need to be formatted pretty specifically. Then we also have, if you're having difficulties doing that, the problem solving portion of it. And then lastly, gives you a little bit more um, information like we talked about earlier about what is the RootsWeb surname list. Okay, super. So, um, yeah, don't miss those links, particularly if you're brand new to it, because this is going to be uh, a nice little introduction. And so people are coming here and they're adding their own surnames and their information. That's where all this data is coming from? Correct. So this is all user-contributed information, and it's been over the past 15-plus years. Right. That's a lot of data. Well, so we go down to the search the Roots Web surname list. We see the surname field and and location. Do you suggest that we just start with our name first alone, or is this going to be kind of dependent on how unique the name is, or should we always put in a location? So putting in a location definitely will help, especially if you are researching a very common name. You know, so Fector is not as common. Smith, Jones... You know, I do research on the Craigs in the UK, and that is a whole new ball game. And so, you, I'd want to be very specific, as specific as I could. I mean, and it's only province, state, or country, so it's not township. But at least I would say Craigs in the UK. I don't want to research Craigs in the US. Right, right. And when we get that initial search done, we're going to get back a search um, kind of result in a grid format. And um, so I see the surname and kind of the migration, and we have somebody who submitted this. What can we do with this information? So with that information, when you click on the submitter, you will get information as to how to contact them. Generally, you're going to find their email address. 
And so you can send them a note just from your own email to be able to make contact to see if they have additional information. You may want to have searched World Connect to see if they have their tree on RootsWeb um, already, so you could look at that. But being able to communicate with them um, via email regarding the research that they've done or research that maybe you have to offer them. Super. So it really is like a bulletin board at a, at a big event where you're just finding ways to connect with people to see if maybe there's an opportunity to, there to share some information. I'm guessing since it's been around a long time that some of these people, uh, their emails may no longer work. So uh, I'm thinking like I pulled up a, one here for one of my surnames, Burkett in Indiana. Uh, I suppose if I didn't, if this email no longer worked, I could even try uh, searching this gal's name on Facebook. Who knows? I might get a, a, an easier, more up-to-date way to contact her. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes what you'll see is I mentioned being able to see a tree. You may actually see the link to their tree under their email address, or they may have a written address. Now, granted, it is public, so mm -hmm. you want, may want to be careful with how much information you share, but they may give their, their mailing address, so you could contact them multiple ways. But you're right, Facebook is now the way to make contact if you can't get them any other current. way. And you're right, she actually has her mailing address here as well. And I see this link, see all surnames by this submitter. So this gives me some context to the name that I was searching, and I can kind of click through this link, and I can really see, does she have some of the other names that I have associated with that surname? That is going to help me do a little bit of homework before I go and contact her that, hey, we really are kind of moving in the same circles, don't you think? Exactly, exactly. And that's where searching to see if they have you know, a, a World Connect tree or a tree on Ancestry or some other location also gives you context as to where, where their research is and if it matches up with yours. Super. Any uh, last tips or tricks that you would suggest, things that we should keep in mind as we're working with the uh, Roots Web surname list? I think the biggest thing is patience. We, um, ah. in this digital age, really want things right now. And when you're dealing with something like the RootsWave surname list, the mailing list, the message boards, any of these community contact, even Facebook, um, you don't know how often others are accessing you know, their email or other things. So be patient. Sometimes people make you know, it through brick walls after waiting because someone contacted them after a year or two or maybe five or maybe even a decade. Be patient and make sure you keep your information updated so that when that person does go to contact you, they, they're able to reach you where you're at now. That's a great suggestion. So I know lots of you who've, who are listening right now have probably at some point participated in the Roots Web surname list. This would be a good time to go in and click the edit link and get all uh, up to date so that when folks click through, they will be able to find you. Anna, this is terrific and a perfect fit to our surname and genealogy episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. A rose by any other name would smell as sweet, but for the family historian, names are vital to our research and often just as thorny. Now, I've invited Nancy Hendrickson to the Family Tree University Crash Course segment today to share some tips on the best methods to research your family's trickiest last names. Welcome back to the show, Nancy. Hey, thank you so much. I always love being here. 
Well, you know, Nancy, earlier in the episode, uh, Diane Haddad shared some of her most challenging surnames. And so now we all identified with that. We're really ready for some strategies uh, on how to deal with them. So I'd love to start off with what are some of your tips for distinguishing between people with a common name? I mean, how do we identify which one is really our ancestor? You know, it's a great question. And in fact, when I did a webinar for Family Tree, that was one of the questions that came in afterwards. Um, When searching for anybody, whether you have ancestry or not ancestry, I typically will go to Google first, especially if I have a lot of people with the same name, which, you know, I think most of us do. And I will use what are called search operators. And those are using words like and, and not, and if you go to Google and put in search operators, it will show you all of the search operators. And basically, I end up with a very long string of search words. And I know it's it's harder to explain on a podcast than to show you. But for example, I might put in Missouri and John Snow, and whatever, but not weather. Because if I have a surname Snow, I'm going to get weather pages. And the other right. thing that I did is the more things I can put into that search string on Google, the more apt I am to really hone in on exactly the person I'm looking for. But the other thing to do, and I think people often don't do this, is in that search string on Google to add the word genealogy. Because Google has gotten very smart, and the word genealogy may not actually appear on the page uh, that comes up in results, but Google is getting so smart it comprehends that there is something on that page that has to do with the family history. So if I put genealogy as one of my search results, then... I'll start getting actually genealogical pages come back. Does that make sense, Lisa? Yeah. Hey, I wrote a book about it. It totally makes sense to okay. me. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think you and I are both high Google uh, users. Yeah, I think some of the things that you're are talking about are something that you can really incorporate every day. You know, and when she's talking about search operators, a distinct example, I think something that somebody could use every day is quotation marks. Oh, absolutely. Putting quotation marks around a word or phrase makes that word or phrase mandatory and exact. So right there, you're able to kind of push Google to do exactly what you want and not just kind of, you know, words here and there willy-nilly. You're you're really fine-tuning. I think that's what you're talking about. Absolutely, really, yeah, absolutely. Talking and, language. and it sounds like I think that you're describing it a little better than I did. Uh, but see, you wrote the book on it. <laughs> that's why. Uh, exactly. So when I do a search, I will use quotation marks. I'll use the minus sign, which says, mm-hmm. don't bring me back pages with weather if I'm looking for surname Snow. And yes. uh, because it will happen. And the reason I add genealogy to that search string is it keeps Google from bringing me up John Snow's cafe or John Snow's yes. car repair. If anything, it helps the, the genealogy-themed websites rise to the Absolutely. top of that search results list. And, and what you mentioned about the minus sign is so powerful. Um, all of us have run a search and seen a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't 
apply to our, our person, subtracting out those words that we know have nothing to do with our ancestor. Boy, that is really powerful. It is. And it, let's say that, you know, that you've got a John Smith and, and you put in, you know, John Smith in your, in your Google search. And the first 10 pages come up with some Smith in Massachusetts. If you put a minus in front of Massachusetts, it will take all that stuff out of the search results. Because you don't want any John Smiths in, in Massachusetts. So the minus is something I think people rarely use, and I think it's incredibly powerful. Absolutely. Well, I love it. Okay, so you're using the Google search operators in your online search, which is going to dig into all the websites across the, the, uh, the internet. What are some of your other favorite tools? I know you probably have a few more up your sleeve. Oh, I do. You know, I am a map person. I love maps. So surname distribution maps, and uh, I'm going to give you a link so you can put it in your show notes. Uh, FamilySearch.org actually has a list of surname distribution maps, not only U.S., but uh, across the world. And what this is, is it shows you how common or uncommon a surname is in a given place at a given time. So looking up one of my surnames in 1840... On a surname distribution map, I could see that based on the census in 1840, people with that surname were only in two states in the U.S. Can you see how much easier that makes your research? I'm not, oh, yeah. not going to waste time in 48 other states, or you know, probably there were 30-some at that point in time. One of the sites that links from the family search is an Irish surname. And I know Irish uh, research can be really challenging, but it has a surname distribution by date by county. So it will show you within each county in a certain period of time, which percentage of the people in that county had that particular surname. So skimming down the list, you have a really good idea of where to start digging in. So surname distribution maps are kind of like one of my absolute favorites. And um, I have one other that I also love using, and that is the U.S. Board of Geographic Names, USGS. If you go to the USGS site and search for your surname, it's going to show you instances in the United States of things named with that name and it may be a stream a post office a village a creek a valley and it may not have anything to do with your family but if you have an idea of where your family was located go use that because i have often found that it hones in on where my family actually was and there's like a creek named after them or a road named after them. It It is amazingly valuable, and I think most people don't realize it. Absolutely. You're, you're really, uh, I think, describing, and these are the tools that can do it, is taking data and visualizing it. Right. You know, put it into a whole other um, way of processing it. And how fabulous to be able to take data that you could never just look through every census page and be able to see the distribution, but the map just makes it so clear. I love these tools. I, I, I love, well, and I think you are also a Google Earth person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will, once I find something on the map, I'll use Google Earth and go in and fly over and, and see if there... And this just happened recently. 
I found a place that was a creek and I flew in really close and, you know, within a mile is a street name that's another family name that lived in that area. So that was like giving me lots of clues to, okay, mm-hmm. now I better dig in here. And I think most times in genealogy, people don't think that much about maps or using Google Earth or the uh, USGS database. And we just have such incredible access to these tools. Use them. They're great. Oh, I couldn't agree more. You know, what you're talking about right there and using Google Earth has been absolutely critical in me working with a very unique surname, Sparowski. And uh, you'd think it'd be easier because it's unique, but identifying and it's based on a location. It's out in Belarus. There's a lake and, and knowing that Ouski, you know, ski right. means town, all of that has really helped me pinpoint where they were from in ways that the documents just weren't giving it up. So I love this. But, you know, Nancy has so many wonderful strategies with using tools to pull out your surnames. If you want to check it out, it's, we have a surname genealogy research strategies on demand webinar. So this is a webinar that she did live and it was video recorded. So you can get the video, download it from Shop Family Tree and get the whole kit and caboodle of wonderful strategies like this that maybe you haven't thought about using, but could be really uh, fabulous in your research. And of course, if you want to learn more about Googling, you can check out my book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox. And there's also a uh, two DVD series, uh, kind of a companion series on using Google Earth for genealogy. And those are all available at Shop Family Tree as well. So we'll have links in our show notes. Nancy, great strategies. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thanks, Lisa. And I hope everybody has lots of fun digging into the maps. It's time to wrap up this episode devoted to surnames. Uh, and we're going to do that at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. You know, Allison, we've covered surnames um, from a lot of different angles in this episode. And of course, I got to check in with you because I know you've got all kinds of really cool tools that you turn to. What are your favorite resources that you turn to when you're working with surnames? I'm so glad you asked. I have three that I would love to share with folks. Awesome. Okay, so the first one is, um, it's actually a book. Uh, a series of books called the Dictionary of American Family Names. We were once sent a copy of this to Family Tree Magazine. It's sitting out on our bookshelves. It's three volumes long. It's enormous. Um, The great news is that it's also available and searchable on Ancestry.com for free. So you don't have to necessarily go to the library and leaf through (laughs) those three enormous volumes unless you want to. But What's cool about this is you can look up facts about a name. So you'll learn the meaning of the name, but also on Ancestry.com, you can see the distribution of the name in the United States. So where does that surname show up in census records, as well as places of origin. So like, for example, one of my family names is Riesenbeck. And there's not a ton of Riesenbecks in the United States. So I can see that the name is primarily concentrated in Ohio and Kentucky, which actually makes sense for my family. So there's a good chance that maybe those people are related to mine. Oh, that's a neat tool. Okay, so this is at Ancestry.com slash learn slash facts. And we'll put that in our show notes. Yeah. All right. The second resource is a website called Behind the Name at www.b 
behindthename.com. What I like this for is looking up surnames and given names by country or ethnic background. So you know how sometimes surnames will get garbled in translation over the generations? Or sometimes they might be, the spelling might be Americanized. Well, this is a great tool for helping to kind of unpuzzle that because you can look up the um, common spellings of surnames for a particular ethnic background. And so by comparing what you have with some of those names, you get a sense of what likely spellings back in the old country might have been. Oh, this is really neat. I have not seen this before. And um, am I correct that this is focusing on then the first name? Well, there's um, two versions of the site or two sections of the site. One focuses on given names and one focuses on surnames. So you get both in one fell swoop, which is really helpful. Oh, perfect. I see that here. Okay, wonderful. And number three? Number three is a book. Um, It's one we carry in shopfamilytree.com, published by Genealogical Publishing Company. It's kind of a classic, I would say. It's called American Surnames. The author is Elsden Smith. And what I like about this is it's a great primer on how surnames came to be and what the origins of different types of surnames are. So it goes through all of those patterns, like patronymics, and um, place name oriented surnames, just how they all evolved. I think it's a great look at some of the cultural influences that affected your ancestor surname. So while it's not necessarily a direct genealogical clue, it does give you a great sense of, you know, how those surnames might have been adopted in the first place. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so this is American Surnames by Elsden Smith. And we'll have a link uh, in Shop Family Tree to that. Whoa, these are pretty cool. And I hadn't seen this behind the name. So we've, all of us have new tools here to work with. Okay, well, perfect. This is the perfect end to a great episode all about surnames. And you've even tossed in some given names. So we all have a lot to do. Thank you so much, Allison. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this February 2016 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast. It's the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. You'll find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. And you'll find the show notes webpage for this episode at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And then just look for February 2016. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems Podcast, which is also available free in iTunes, and we do have an app for that. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 